Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. Maybe you never paid attention to it before, but there is in fact an accordion in that song, a major hit for the Fab Four Beatles, We Can Work It Out. And all of the songs that we play in and out of the breaks on Spotlight Connecticut this week will have, yes, the accordion, because I took a trip up to the North Canaan Accordion Museum. One of only two in the United States of America, and there's one here in Connecticut. The other one is in Wisconsin. It's a conversation you're not going to want to miss. And so we are going to pay tribute to the accordion a little bit today on Spotlight Connecticut. I'd also like to play a little montage of something I did earlier this week. Every year, because I'm an alum, I'm invited to do the WECSFM broadcast of Eastern Connecticut State University's commencements. This year, the 133rd was on Tuesday at the Excel Center in downtown Hartford. So I walked around and I asked a bunch of students, what are you going to be doing once you graduate? I hope to open a um, boutique and also... I also want to travel, you know, I feel like in, um, you know, the years of COVID, especially everyone being inside and social distancing, I kind of want to see the world. Um, I'm going to hopefully own my business on my own one day. Not exactly sure, but something outside. I'm a very, I come from a blue collar family, so hopefully something along those lines. I work in a marketing agency, yeah. I graduated back in December, but I'm walking today. Right now I'm in business with my pops right now contractor we out here just trying to expand and i have a couple interviews and i have a long-term sub job studying monday can you tell me where any of these places are any of these interviews my long-term sub jobs at east windsor middle school and then a bunch of elementary high schools and middle schools so you're not quite sure where you want to wind up but yeah. that's what you want to do yes and you see yourself staying in the area of course i have a job starting june 1st at a healthcare accounting firm could be going back to the casino to be doing uh, events for them. If not, I got an interview with CBS Sports, so and ESPN as well. I'm going to be working in a production house in Fort Lauderdale covering the MLS in soccer. I'm going to the Hartford Insurance, You're going yes. to the Hartford. So what are you going to do there? So I'm in their technology and data program, so I'll be rotating jobs within technology every six months for a three-year program. I've got a job lined up with Travelers, and I'm planning on staying here for the next three, four years, um, and then depending on where Travelers takes me move accordingly. I'm also working at Travelers. We're in the exact same program, actually, Hunter and I. We're in the business intelligence and analytics program. And that's what I find so amazing about all of the commencements, not just the one at Eastern, but these students are starting their own lives. They're going out there and they're finding their own paths, whichever direction they decide to go. There are many directions that they all could go in. And I think that it should remind us that in life, you do have a bit of control over your destiny. You can be what you want to be. And um, it's powerful being there at commencement and watching what becomes those students. And then this week, the president, Dr. Elsa Nunez, announced that she'll be retiring. So lots of transitions. And uh, you know what? That's what life is all about. That's what keeps life exciting, isn't it? All the changes. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, it's Nadine in Clinton. I'm listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. I've got to tell you, Paul, I'm fascinated looking around here at the museum in North Canaan. And it all started when you were a little boy and you were forced, apparently, to learn how to play the accordion and look at you now. But remember those days for me, could you? Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's out on Long Island in a town called Huntington, and my mother came to me. I was 10 years old, and I remember the day like it was yesterday. And she said, your father and I want you to learn how to play the accordion. And I remember 
looking at her in disbelief. I said, Mom, anything but that. Anything but that. I said, the kids are going to make fun of me. I'm going to have fistfights. And she said, that's okay. She said, this is going to be something important for you. And I asked her, why? Why did I have to learn this? And she said, because it's good, it's clean, and it's wholesome. Now, at that age, I really didn't care about good, clean, and wholesome. I was, I was trying to stay alive. And about how old were you at the 10. time? I was 10. And uh, so I started taking lessons, and I did it for about seven years. I was in a band, accordion band, never really much good. They kept me in the back row, and um, so it wasn't something I really looked forward to. So I got done with it when I was going off to college at Fairfield University, and the accordion went in the closet, and that was the end of it, I thought. Your accordion is still here, actually, your very first one. That's right. It's sitting on a shelf with a picture of me wearing it when I was um, 13, and uh, it brings back memories, not only for me, but for the people that come in here. It's amazing how many of us older folks that come in, and as soon as I show it to them, they go, oh my gosh, that, that's what happened to me. And there were so many of us that got forced into playing an accordion when we were 10, 12. Some people, one fellow was in here, he was six years old, and he started. Paul, you mentioned the concept of a band made out of accordions maybe some other instruments i'm looking at photos around here there are bands that have accordions incorporated with other instruments and there are also bands that are just all accordions mm. this concept is new to me i've got to be honest with you could you explain what that was like having an all accordion band or a band with accordions yeah what happened in a band with all accordions um everybody had a certain um level to play at. So in other words, first accordion would carry the tune. Second accordion, third accordion, uh, and fourth accordion would give the harmony at different levels. Now, it was hard when you played second, third, and fourth accordion, because when you practiced, you didn't have a tune or a melody. You have that harmony type uh, notes and that fit in to when you hear the, the tune melody, but without that, it's just a lot of notes being randomly played, it sounded. But when we got together as a, um, as a band, uh, we could hear the, uh, how each piece fit in, how each uh, accordion fit in. But that's what we had. We had no other instruments in our band. This was in school? No, it was a band that was outside of school. Uh, although I did play in a band at school when I was in the seventh grade, and we had uh, drums and we had some other brass and it was okay, you know. But the accordion kind of dominates um, because there's so many reeds inside of each accordion. There's maybe a couple of hundred to 300 reeds and they're all sounding at some point uh, alike or, or all at once and it's, it's imposing. It's not quiet. <laughs> About when did the accordion get made or become popular and catch on a little bit? The um, 1800, uh, late 1700s, people were really looking for music. And, uh, you know, they were looking for instruments that would bring people together, like a party. And there were flutes, there were violins or fiddles, I should say, and uh, but they weren't very hardy. 
and they were easily damaged. And um, so what happened is the accordion was invented, if you will, in the very early 1800s on a design that came out of China. And uh, it's called the free reed. Basically what happens, a reed is um, formed on a metal frame and a tab is inserted on that frame. It's attached at one end and the other end it vibrates free. And so when you place it on a, a rack of other reeds, enclose it in the accordion and run air through it, those reeds vibrate. And you choose the ones you want to play by playing the uh, keys or the buttons. So we're looking at about 200 years of accordion stuff. Accordion coming into um, being, it got patented in Vienna, Austria in 1829. And then it took off from there, but mainly button accordions were produced in the 19th century. We get to around 1900 and the piano was perfected pretty much and somebody came up, well, I think it was Paolo Soprani in Italy who manufactured accordions, and they said, let's get rid of the buttons on the right side and put in the piano keys that resemble a piano, and that did it. The accordion exploded, and millions were made between 1900 1960, and uh, everybody played the accordion. What's the oldest example of an accordion that you have here at yeah. the museum. We have something called a flutina, which is um, a very basic uh, set of bellows and two wooden um, boxes on each side. And it's very small. It's about maybe a foot long and eight inches thick. And a number of keys and uh, valves on the right-hand side that uh, would produce the notes. This looks nothing like the accordions that we would see or expect to see today, I don't think. No, these were the very beginning ones. And uh, even in some of the early movies, you wouldn't see these. These were so small um, and very personal. Uh, And then they made them bigger. And by the time the Civil War came around, we had um, things that were more like concertinas and button boxes, we call them. Uh, And that was an interesting thing that happened. In the Civil War, uh, guys would bring their concertinas with them and these little button boxes that they're called because they have buttons on them. And they'd bring them with them into the battlefields. And they'd have them in oak cases just on their shoulders. And if they got killed, these things would be on the ground. Somebody else would pick them up and bring them along. The military actually encouraged people to bring these with them because the desertion rates during the Civil War were so high. People just couldn't believe the horror of the war and they would desert in the middle of the night. So they would play these things around the campfire uh, to keep their, um, their command intact. What kinds of songs would they play? Well, generally, um, uh, all the folk songs that you go back, Yankee Doodle, uh, Old Folks at Home, uh, things that were popular in that day. And, but a lot of the songs they would play would remind them of um, the family. And uh, that's what people focused on. That's what they had. 
There was no TV, there was no radio, there was nothing. As one gentleman told me, very elderly gentleman, he said, you know, back in those days, everything was quiet. There was nothing to distract you. If you heard somebody playing an instrument, a violin or a fiddle, you'd stop what you're doing. I don't care what it was. You would go out and find them and everybody would gather there. And the next thing you know, people start dancing or getting together. It, it was that uh, it's hard for us to imagine a world without music. And uh, I, I told somebody once, I said, next time you watch a movie, turn off the sound and see what, what does it look like? <laughs> it's like, whoa, it's like having food with no seasoning. You know, it's terrible. Um, and that's the way life was, very quiet. We've come a long way. Oh, we sure have. And the accordion was there to accelerate the rate at which we came forward. And uh, so here we are. I'm Morgan Cunningham. This is Spotlight Connecticut, chatting with my new friend Paul at the Accordion Museum here in North Canaan. I'm looking at a very, very interesting instrument, the Shang Chinese mouth organ. And the label here says invented approximately 1100 BC. What is this? Unbelievably, if you've, um, for folks listening, if you ever want to see what I'm holding in my hand, you go online and you punch in Sheng, S-H-E-N-G. This is the first accordion. It was designed 3,000 years ago. The one I've got in my hands is brand new, uh, and I bought it off Brand of, new is in made recently? Yeah, made recently, and I got it off of eBay uh, and was made in China. I got it, and it fell apart in my hands. I had to put it all together again. but. Um, the, the story that goes with this is there was an emperor. I think it was the Yellow Emperor. Uh, this is 1100 BC, which would be about 3,000 years ago. He had a, um, a bird outside his window every morning, and he loved the sound. So he got his guys together, and he said to them, make me something so I can hear that sound whenever I want to. And they looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? Well, they, they really got together and thought about it. They knew they had to trap air somehow. So they'd have a source of um, uh, carrying the note. But then they had to make the note. So what they did is they took a gourd. And at the very bottom of this thing is a, a dried out gourd. In this case, it's metal. But back then, that's what they had. They put a stem on it to draw the air in or push it out. And then they put in 17 bamboo shoots or pipes that were hollow with a hole at the bottom of each bamboo shoot. And they got a way to passage the air through the this instrument. But now they had to make the sound. And they didn't know. They tried all kinds of things. And somebody came up with it. He said, let's take a very thin piece of um, bamboo, insert it into the pipe, attach it at one end, and the other end will flap, will vibrate, and it'll create the sound. Well, son of a gun, that's what they did. So what I'm gonna do now is make some sound for you. Oh boy, here we go, live on Spotlight Connecticut, the Shang Chinese mouth organ, and here goes Paul. Okay. Now, that probably horrified, I don't know how many Chinese people, <laughs> but this thing is in, these modern ones are in Chinese orchestras and they play it a lot better than I can. And, uh, but it's so interesting. This, 
This design did not make it to Europe until the late 1700s. Uh, they tell me a French priest went to China, brought one of these back to Europe, and he gave it to people, and they disassembled it. They reverse engineered it, and they saw the little flapping reed in there, and that's what gave us the modern-day reeds for the accordions. Tell me, Paul, about where accordions stand today in the world because, you know, it's not something that I see being played in downtown Hartford all the time, but I'm aware because my family's from western Pennsylvania. They're still popular in western PA, so it would seem to me that they have pockets, at least in the United States, where they're popular, um, certainly polka, but could you elaborate on the worldwide perspective and outlook on accordions? Yeah. Um, we're finding accordions everywhere on the globe. Every country on the globe has a version of the uh, accordion, and basically they all operate the same way on the same principle, air being pulled into or pushed out of a, a unit and running the air over these reeds. So now it's very popular in European countries. I've had people in here from the Czech Republic, from uh, the Balkan states, Russia, uh, and it, in Britain. Everybody plays an accordion. Every other person plays an accordion there. And uh, you go into South America, you'll see uh, accordions being played often. Uh, they're very popular. They're popular in Mexico. They're popular along our southern border. Um, and people uh, playing Tex-Mex, Cunyunto, uh, Zydeco, that kind of um, mixture of uh, uh, Mexican and Texas Texan music, and it's hot, and it makes uh, a lot of people dance uh, quickly. <laughs> You um, surprised me when you told me earlier before we started recording they're popular in China and somewhere else too. And, and uh, they're big in China. They make millions of them for their people. Well, they've got almost two billion people there. So we got a lot of accordions being made there. And in all the places you'd never expect, North Korea has accordions. And uh, a lot of people play accordions there because they have to. The leader of the country uh, made it a, almost a, a law that uh, people had to play an accordion. Uh. <clears throat> Have you seen any of those come through the doors here, any from North Korea, any from China? No, I uh, rarely see anything. Uh, I think they don't let that out of the country. And uh, there are a few that pause through here, but they're not of high quality. Um, we get them from Russia. We've gotten a few from Ukraine. And we've even gotten um, some of our antiques here are from the uh, concentration camps of World War II. And that is a story in itself. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Yet another hit song, Mr. Bojangles by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band that features the accordion in the background. Not a prominent instrument necessarily, quite like that World War II song. Whew, boy. Uh, but it's there. It is there. There are examples of accordions being used in popular music. That song that I played going into the break previously from 1941. 1941, because we're talking about accordions this week at the North Canaan Museum for Accordions in North Canaan, Connecticut. It's been open for two years. They've had over 4,000 visitors. He logs the number of people that have gone in. Over 4,000 people have visited the Accordion Museum in North Canaan in the last two years. He opened during COVID. 
or I should say that he at least built it up during COVID-19 and um, got it opened in 2021. Paul Romuni is our guest. We'll continue talking with him about accordions in World War II. He's got quite a tale and several accordions that are, in fact, on display that are traced back to Germany during that time period. So that story's on the way. Coming up next week, I'd like to let everybody know that we're going to have a special about Memorial Day. And the way we're going to do it, a little bit different and um, perhaps not as fun as a topic like this, but a serious one um, with some positive undertones, no doubt. Uh, But we are going to be talking about Memorial Day in Connecticut 2023. So I have several towns lined up and towns that you don't necessarily expect um, because we're Connecticut, right? And Connecticut's a small state. Our signal reaches all of Connecticut and several of the other neighboring states. And so I'd like to give Hartford and New Haven and some areas that get a lot of attention. I like to give them a break and uh, I like to see what some of the other towns and other parts of the state are doing. And so we're going to check in with at least two towns next week. We will have a special message from a leader in Connecticut. And we're also going to have um, a special story about a hit record from 50 years ago that has popped up from time to time in popularity, including just after the 9-11 tragedies in 2001. And you might wonder, Morgan, is there a connection to Connecticut with that song? Why, yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, there is. And I'll have it for you next week on our Memorial Day special. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, I'm Eric from Glastonbury, and I'm listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. I'm talking with Paul from the Accordion Museum in North Canaan, Connecticut. A beautiful trip out to Litchfield County. Check it out sometime. Now, here's a loaded question, Paul. There is some serious history in this museum, but I'm looking at three pieces. But there are three pieces that trace back to Nazi Germany in the concentration camps. Can you recall coming across these, Paul? What was your first reaction, Paul, when you came across one that had ties to concentration camps? Well, that's a big question because I played the accordion originally from 10 to 17 years of age, put it away thinking that's enough. 42 years later, I found myself in Vermont, this is 2008 now, on a little short vacation, and I woke up on a Wednesday morning and had the urge, and inexplicably, about playing an accordion. Uh, long story short... And I, it had been how many years? Uh, 42 years. And my wife thought I was ill. She was ready to take me to the emergency room. And um, But that day, I found a guy nearby where we were who had a bunch of them. We were in a renovated garage. And um, what happened is... He had a bunch of concertinas that were from the, the German prison camps. and These were up in Vermont? Yeah, they were on the floor. And he just happened to have them there at that moment because he, uh, somebody sent them to him to funnel down to the um, uh, Holocaust Museum in Glen Cove, Long Island. And it was really odd that I was there at that very moment to see them. And I couldn't get over the fact that these came from that horrible place, places, I should say. And uh, so he told me the story of how they, how they happened, because all these people were brought into these concentration camps during World War II. And if they had their um, accordions with them, the guards would make them play them to see that they can play them. And then if you did, 
they separated you from your family, they put these people in a group and they scattered them around in different camps to uh, you be used as propaganda. So when the Western media would come around to make the movie reels about what was going on in that camp, there'd be a band there with the accordions and, uh, <laughs> and they would say, see, everything's fine here, there's a band. And it was really not fine, obviously. It was a show, right. It was a show. And that knocked me out. And that made me want to find out more about the backstory on all of these instruments. Are there examples of those here? Yeah, we have them here. Um, and there's three of them right now that we're looking at. They are button accordions um, from the early 1800s or mid-1800s. And people would bring these in with them when they got captured and the guards would let them keep these because the guards wanted to hear music. Things were really quiet, not much for them to do. And it was a way of keeping this, the prisoners sedated. So, How did you actually get your hands on several of these? I'm looking at three right here, but how did you actually go about getting these? Because there, I'm imagining can't be too many of them in existence. No, I would think there aren't. Um, it's just a connection with someone I knew in Vermont that happened to have them. And he got them from the family of the gentleman that these came out of Dachau, the camp at Dachau. And the, the family that had these originally, uh, their grandfather was with the 82nd Airborne Division in 1945. And he uh, was part of the group that went in to liberate Dachau. And he was an accordion player. So he saw these and the military said, yeah, take them, take them. And so he brought them, shipped them all home. Wow. So, wow. and here they are, and luckily they're here because I'm able to tell this story to people that come in here, and they don't know anything about it. And, and now on the radio. Now they're on the radio, and uh, I, I, could, um, I could tell you so many more things that came out when I talked to people that knew about these and who played them and what was going on, and it really is, to say the least, sad. But it's real. It's here. Have historians ever come out here either to appraise these or look at them or do research on them? We haven't had anybody do that yet. And uh, it's hard to value them only because of there's no way to prove it. You know what I mean? There's no label or anything on it that said certified um, from a certain camp or something. Um, all you got to go by is word of mouth and that... Uh, you know, knowing the people that we got these from, that they were honest. And uh, when you went to their house, you see photographs and the memories of other things that were related to this. So it must have been true. Tell me how you amassed this collection of how many? Is it nearly 600 you were telling me? Yeah, we're, we're getting closer and closer to 600. We got people that call us that bring up their accordions. They donate them. Uh, on occasion, we will buy something that's rare or important. But what's happening is they find these things in their attic, in their basement garages. And, you know, Aunt Tilly played one, and we can't throw it away. We don't know what to do with it. Please give it a good home. And so they come in with them, and uh, they're very important. What was the deciding moment, Paul, and I'm speaking with Paul, of the Accordion Museum, what made you decide that you're going to start collecting these and eventually start 
a little museum here and a repair shop too. Mm. Well, we do that too. We repair, we sell, we have a museum. You know what happened? Um, I just got into it. And when people like these um, um, wartime accordions and the stories that I got from people, you realize what you're hearing is something very important. It wasn't just entertainers. It wasn't just a, an instrument that, gee, that's nice, you played it. But they played it in, in places that hospitals where people were dying, in, in trenches during World War I. We've got accordions there. Um, and you realize they were playing these things at moments in people's lives that were about to expire. We've got D-Day accordions here. Uh, they were played on the ships as they've got the men ready for going in and invading uh, in, in D-Day. You also have, and people of a certain generation in our audience on Spotlight Connecticut today, they'll know the name, Lawrence Welk. Oh. Lawrence Welk's Welky, his very first accordion. And it comes from the Polish American Club in Sarasota, Florida. I think this was also another connection you had with a friend, right? Yes, I had a friend who was an accordionist. He happened to be down in Florida. Oh, this is maybe 10 years ago now. And um, he was sitting in the uh, Polish American Club, and there was an accordion sitting on the shelf all by itself. And liking accordions, he asked uh, someone there, that, what was that accordion? He, and he was told that Lawrence Wolk had a house down there at one point for a long time, and he was a member of the club. And then Mr. Welk sold the house and was moving away, and he took his initial original accordion and gave it to them as a memento, a gift, if you will. So this was sitting on the shelf all by itself. And my friend, my friend asked the bartender or someone there if they really wanted to have the accordion, and they said, well, maybe it's time to move it along. And he took it and brought it back up and called me and said, this belongs in your museum. And so we've got his uh, first accordion. Looking at Lawrence Welk's accordion and the ones that were played on D-Day, and all of them, I'm looking at all of them. There's just in this room alone, I'm looking at 400 accordions. And I do not see one. I see some that are similar in appearance, but I don't see any one that actually looks like another. Is that because you've looked for ones that are different or did they not make an accordion like any other? Were they all different designs? Uh, if you had all the accordions ever made, you would see similarities for sure. But I'll tell you how they made these things. When they were first conceived, they tried to make them to be the same way we are. So they have the same assets, they have the same abilities. If you have a group of people standing uh, together, 500 of them, whatever it is, from a distance we all look alike. When you get up close, you see, whoa, there's differences. Same thing with the accordions. They're all different, but they each have a, a voice, the sound, which is different. No two accordions have the exact same sound. Um, they have buttons and keys, but even the buttons and the keys will react differently from one accordion to the next. Players will tell you that. Um, and it has a pair of lungs, just like we do. And they call it the bellows. And the air goes in and out, just like it does for us. Accordions have feet. They call them two, four little um, 
pads that it sits on, just like we have feet. And then there is the, um, uh, what's the other thing? The tempo. Uh, tempo in an accordion is like a, ha a heartbeat in a person. So you're right. They, nothing is exactly the same. And that's what gives it tremendous variety and ingenuity to make these things work. I take them apart and repair them. It's like opening up a clock from 150 years ago and you're looking at how did they make this? No internet, no books, no magazines, no hardware stores, no supply depots. There's just raw ingenuity. You're in a shop, it's probably cold, and you've got to make this thing look good. Artistry is incredible. And sound these, good. And, and sounds good, and it's got to work every time. They've weathered that storm. Second to last question for All you, right. Paul. Can you play a tune for us? <laughs> I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> All right. So for those of you in Spotlight Connecticut's radio audience land, he's going over to an accordion. How heavy are these? How heavy? They're about anywhere. Well, depending on the size, you can go from uh, 20 pounds to around 28 pounds. But what I can describe to you and your listeners. This is a beautiful wooden one. Well, it looks like wood, but it's But been, it's not? It's not. It was made in 1993. And what they did, believe it or not, is they gave this an automotive paint job. So. <laughs> okay, well, I wasn't expecting that. That's not at all what it looks like to my eye. Yeah, and it looks like wood. Um, and it was made in Italy uh, by Giuseppe Verdi Company. And it celebrates, it celebrates their uh, 100 years of being in business. And this is 1993, it was made. All right, tell you what, I'm going to stand back because I expect this will be loud, and I want to make sure I get a good recording of it, all right? Okay. Here we go, Paul, at the Accordion Museum. You gotta make a polka. If I weren't holding this microphone, I'd be clapping, but... <laughs> you should have been dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be good for picking up the audio, but I was inside. Yes, I understand. Everybody, everybody comes in here and just... It's an amazing place. Um, and it's the best job in the world that I've ever imagined having. 
because it beats you, being a CPA because that's oh, what you did. Oh my God, I'm a retired CPA and uh, you know, it wasn't exactly a lot of fun, but here everybody comes in here and they crack a smile immediately. And it's really interesting because it makes no difference. Democrats, Republicans, we probably even had a couple of terrorists in here. It just levels the playing field. We all, all of a sudden, we don't know names or what have you, and uh, we're laughing and we're, we're having fun. The music is kind of like a glue that brings us together. Paul Ramuni of the Accordion Museum in North Canaan, Connecticut. Paul. Thank you for an amazing tour. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.